Happy Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to episode four of the Humans of ID podcast. I'm your host, Emily, and today I'm joined by two fellow students on the MSc Health and International Development Programme, Rad Sadiq and Carolina Delgado Fernandez. <laughs> good, um, good try, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Rad is a intercalating medical student from the University of Glasgow and Carolina is a practicing doctor from Mexico and they're here today to give their take on development from a medical point of view. Hello both of you, how are you doing today? Yeah. Not too bad, I've never had someone introduce me before so I, like I, I feel yeah, I feel quite honoured to be here, thank you very much yeah, Emily. No worries, um, well seeing as I've given you a short introduction, would both of you like to go um, a bit more in detail about your backgrounds of medicine before you came to LSE? Sure. First. Yeah. Um, well, so I'm from Mexico. I'm from the city called Merida in the south of Mexico and I study uni there. Um, well, in Mexico, med school or medicine is about six years or seven years depending on which school you are. Mine was seven. So. <laughs> um, afterwards, before coming here, I was working um, as a um, general surgeon for, well, I was working with a plastic surgeon. Um, I was working in reconstructive surgery for breast cancer patients, and also was working within the government to promote health education. So I just moved here in September and for the masters basically, and been living here ever since. I've always been in awe of that because that's quite a vibe change going from like <laughs> cutting people open for as a day job to like studying development. Like yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like um, well, so one year before the pandemic started, I created um, a nonprofit called Proyecto Nahil, which was based on promoting health education for children in rural communities in the state of Yucatan. So when the project started like growing, I started working with Is the that government. Where no, so. Oh. Yucatan is uh, right next to Quintana Roo, okay. and Merida, it's yeah. two hours away from Cancun. <laughs> okay, yeah. So that's the reference I usually yeah. use. Like, Do you know where Cancun is? Yeah. Perfect, two hours away, that's my city. Um, and I started working with the government in order to promote the project. So I got more invested into development, into what it is like health policy and everything. And I realized that I didn't know anything about that, rather than my clinical background. So I could just um, support when it comes to like clinical knowledge, but when it came to actual policies or creating or uh, initiating more the project, I realized I didn't know much about mm -hmm. it. So it's a really interesting topic to me. So that's why I decided to come here and learn more about it basically. Yeah. What about you? Well, I, I'm obviously at a far less advanced stage of my <laughs> career than Carolina is. I've only done three years of medical school. I'm over five. I'm surprised it's that long in, in Mexico. I know it's long in the States, but yeah. maybe it's a similar sort of system. So it's only five years here in, in the UK uh, and in most Commonwealth countries. Um, but I've done three and I'm taking a year out to... Basically, my motivation was I just needed a year out after COVID and everything, um, and to spend a year at home with my cat. But I thought instead of <laughs> sort of sitting around doing nothing, I might as well do something with my life. Um, and then I got I started thinking about like what I want to do, sort of long term career wise. Um, I wanted to be more than just a, well, I say just. Obviously, doctors are very important. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to have a bigger role in terms of health policy on the internet, on a national, potentially a global level with the WHO. Um, and then I started thinking about like sort of health systems and like health economics. And I was like, I absolutely know nothing about this. I mean, I know about the social determinants of health um, and sort of public, there's a 
um, a lot of public health stuff that you do during your medical um, degree in Glasgow, but it's sort of quite, um, I don't know, it's quite sort of community, it's like very sort of patient focused, which is mm. good, but what we're doing at the LSE is very much sort of broad systems level stuff, right? And uh, some of our colleagues will go on to work for like the Red Cross, for the UN and things like that. And I think it's very inspiring to be in that sort of amongst these wow people. Um, so yeah, I'm just really, yeah. I'm really surprised I got in, by the way, because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm very unqualified. I'm 22 years old. I don't have an undergraduate degree yet. You know, I've got two more years left. So I was surprised that I um, even got an offer. So thank you, Anastina, for it. <laughs> um, I agree with what you're saying, actually. Like, um, as a medical doctor, like working day-to-day -day basis with patients, you do make a difference, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you actually want to see changes when it comes to the healthcare structure sector, like um, you need to know more about it, and you need to know like a broader sense of like the organizations that form part of these policies. Mm -hmm. So yeah. yeah, basically that was why I decided to come here too, and it's quite a change of career, as you say. But like I, I think it's really important for um, the healthcare community or like the workers who. Um, are like in everyday treating patients mm -hmm. to maybe get more um, deep sense of what actual yeah. policies are about because most of the doctors don't know mm -hmm. like they don't teach that at school n neither in America yeah. or here yeah. as I can see so a favorite statistic that I like to throw out from and I haven't verified or this at all but um, <laughs> so he, it comes from like um, a doctor youtuber that I, I I've been following for quite a while and apparently the statistic is over the course of their career, um, a doctor only saves an average of eight lives. And what I mean by that is had they not existed, had they not been a doctor, mm. eight people who are alive today would not have survived. Um, so, and the reason why that statistic is so low is because generally you don't rely on one doctor to save patients, right? You, uh, there's a whole system in place starting from GPs, a whole um, sort of group of nurses and consultants. There's a whole system in place. And so one additional doctor doesn't make that mar uh, that big marginal a difference. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're a policymaker or even a, like a health educator, um, as, as you started doing in Mexico, that has a much higher marginal impact. Like if you're going to uh, places like Mexico or places like um, Africa and teaching uh, people how to use sanitary, uh, teaching women how to use sanitary products better, for example, that has a much more marginal impact in terms of lives saved than being a doctor in, in the UK or even in, you know, in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that it's surprising that medicine is so focused around Obviously, it takes a lot of clinical skills and everything, but it's interesting that the policy and the social side of it is not focused on it that much in a yeah. medical degree. I think it's this sort of, uh, it's kind of like the personality type of people who apply to go into medicine. Mm. They, take, they tend to be quite sort of perfectionist, usually sort of quite, you know, I'm overgeneralizing here, but quite discreet in their thinking. They like solving problems, but they want to see like an outcome at the end of their intervention mm -hmm. things like social sciences um and, and you know health policy some of the stuff we're talking about the outcome is not very tangible mm -hmm. um and uh it's certainly not immediate like you have to wait several years if not decades to see the you know fruition of, of the policies that you put into place and so for a lot of personality types that that want to be trained to be doctors that's just not sort of attractive or suitable mm. so coming from like a science predominantly science background. How do you think that has benefited uh, your time 
doing this MSc and how do you think you've been challenged in your thinking focusing on like a social science perspective rather than like as you said hardcore facts and for me starting at I've never done social sciences before mm -hmm. so before coming here I've never written an essay so starting <laughs> from that <laughs> starting from that yeah. on September I was like okay going to LSU Life, how to write an essay. And I was like, okay, never done this before. Mm -hmm. So I think all of the information that I've got so far, information that I've never would have been able to obtain with uh, my clinical background. Um, I've been in different courses, like as, as you know, we each and every one of us choose different courses. So I've been in the health policy department and I've learned so much about actors, politics, organizations. So that really interests me and in that, gives me a broader sense of what it is out there and how policy works. So for me, it's like entirely different lifestyle change mm -hmm. for uh, being a medical doctor to right now be at uni again, because I graduated five, six years ago. <laughs> no, no, not that much. Um, 2016, five years ago. Five years ago. Yeah. So it's been a while. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was really exciting to like get back on track, being at uni again, pulling all-nighters again. <laughs> so yeah, it's been, it's been quite interesting to be here. I've been challenged in a lot of ways. Firstly, the amount of reading that we have to do. Like, mm -hmm. I, I haven't like voluntarily picked up a, a book since I was like 11 or 12 years old. It's been quite a change, but surprisingly, um, I've been able to sort of um, develop sort of new learning skills to cope with that. And one bias that I had and I mean I still have and I'm still actively working to push against this is my over, like my preference for quant mm -hmm. and numbers and I tried to like even for my dissertation I, well I mean, I mean I'm doing the econ specialism so there is, has to be an element of you know that's it has to be quant right <laughs> but um, like during MY410 that uh, during Michaelmas every time sort of a qualitative thing used to come up in the back of my mind I used to think oh this is kind of like sort of wishy-washy, doesn't really have any value, but we have to go through this process. And But now I'm starting to realize that maybe there is some some substance to qualitative and... I love qualitative, <laughs> I love, for me it's just like, yes, whenever I wrote, like, write, write an article, I was like, qualitative study, yes. Like, and yes, there's a problem here, because I, pr I like simplicity in, in the numbers, that something's either right or wrong in a way. But um, when you're tackling, you know, in our future careers, when we're tackling the issues we'll be tackling, there's never a right or a wrong answer, right? So um, you factor in, like, people are different, communities are different, countries are different, cultures are different. So, yeah, qualitative is definitely important. And I've only realised that in the last few months. Yeah, you've been forced to do qualitative with your interviews for consultancy, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's entirely qualitative. Yeah. We, yeah, we yeah. don't even have like surveys or anything. We don't even have strongly agree, disagree scales. Mm. It's been entirely qualitative. And that's why we're so far behind, even though it's due like pretty soon, is because we've been trying to codify, um, uh, quote unquote, codify the interviews into stuff that we can now put into that's the issue with qualitative isn't it that like, yeah it's firstly it's lengthy and secondly like, because people use different words to say different things even if they're trying to uh, portray the same sort of concept because they're using different words it's hard to then when you're writing a report in your consultancy be like 80 percent of people disagreed that yeah. you know it's hard to measure it's hard to measure yeah. yeah so so yeah Yes, I mean, for example, me, um, I know like farmers, like a huge um, 
celebrity when it comes to the global health um, world. <laughs> Paul Farmer. Farmer. No. No? Okay. But, like, <laughs> I, I, like I've never heard of him before. So, um, having all the courses regarding him, Sang, Chang, like, yeah, yeah. like, I've learned a lot when it comes to uh, development, mm -hmm. which is a thing I had no clue about. Like, actually, I was really worried when uh, we first started, because mm. I got here a month late. And then you were all on the roll and um, having all this class, and I was just like, Who's that person again? Yeah. Which one said what? I'm sorry. But yeah. then again, like right now, after almost way half our masters, I realize that all of that information is just gonna stick with me for like future yeah. career. So yeah. how do you think um, what you've learned here is gonna benefit your future career then? Like what is your prospects? What do you wanna do well, after leaving LSE? Well, for me, I would like to work at um, government can be in Mexico. Uh, my plan is to stay here for at least two years. So maybe working in consultancy or even Ministry of Health. I don't even know if I'm allowed. <laughs> but yes, working in the uh, policy sector, basically, that's my aim. And I think everything that I've learned so far, either for knowledge or the new classes that I'm taking, which are like uh, for skills, would help mm -hmm. me to actually be able to Round everything with my clinical background. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm excited to see. <laughs> would you not go back to medicine then? Oh, um, I do like it. Yeah, but right now I would like to explore some more options. Like mm -hmm. I know I, can, I I'm always gonna be a doctor, and I do I love it and I enjoy doing it. But right now I'm at a point in my life when I want to try new things. So yeah, why not? Yeah, I think that's such a brave decision to make because from my perspective and having friends in medicine once you're in it's kind of yeah I guess hard to opt out for a little bit yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's a, it's like a conveyor belt right yeah. and like when you want to be a doctor you decide you make this decision like at 16 17 mm. years old and then you're suddenly locked into it for the next two three decades <laughs> and <laughs> so um so that's like for me LSE has been such a sort of breath of fresh air because it's given me a chance to sort of challenge that I was just going along the path that had the least friction. So at school, I was good at biology, maths, not particularly interested. In, I mean, medicine seemed cool, but I wasn't like one of these sort of super keen people. So, but it was the least uh, path, uh, path of least friction. So I did that. And the medical school, the, the hardest thing about medical school is getting in. Once you're in, you just have to do the bare minimum and they kind of chuck you out at the other end as a doctor. And then there's another career ladder that's automatically laid out for you. There's very little like of your own initiative that you need to use. Well, I mean, there is, but at the same time, there isn't relative to other degrees. Um, and so I'm in a weird place where I actually don't know what I want to do, whether I want to go back to um, whether I want to be a doctor in the future or just go straight into policy. Mm. Um, but I can't actually be asked to look for jobs and apply to jobs <laughs> at the moment. So on that basis alone, I've decided to go back to Glasgow to finish mm. my medical degree. But whether or not I'll actually then work as a doctor, yes, is yet to be seen. Yeah, it's like you were saying, it's a conveyor belt. You finish your degree, now you've got to do F1 and F2. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a very common situation. Like, I have a bunch of friends who actually already, like, finished medical school and they don't do anything related to that. One of my best friends, she's from Venezuela and she did a tropical medicine master's mm. at, in Barcelona. And right now, she's working at a ship in Norway. So, 
Like yeah, like ship. she is a doctor. Uh, no, no, no. It's like a fisherman. Oh, okay. oh no yeah. Way. <laughs> yeah. So she's like, like she's just like sailing the world in a so fish cool. boat, basically. Yeah, yeah. I have other friend who finished med school with me, and right now he stopped doing medicine and he created or like he uh, opened a skydive in Mexico. Mm. So yeah, like skydive center. So he is the main owner of that, and mm-hmm. he do that. So, I mean, it, it, there is, there is a high percentage of people who actually finish medicine when mm. they realize that it's not the path that they want to follow yeah. at the end. Like, as you, as you were saying, like, you choose that path when you're really young. So maybe along the way you realize that's what, not what you like. Actually, when I decided to go to med school, I, I was going to do international relations. Mm. But then one of my best friends uh, had a nose job. And I was just like, ooh, can I get into the surgery just for the fun of it? <laughs> and I like, I, uh, uh, the surgeon was just like, sure, why not? And afterwards, I was just like, that is so exciting yeah. cutting people open. I know it sounds really bad. <laughs> but I was just like, oh my God, that's so interesting. But I told my parents, like, ooh, I may want to do medicine. And all of my friends were just like, you're so not going to make it. <laughs> like, yeah, you can try, but yeah. like, maybe like two years in, you're going to realize that it's not for you. Mm. But I did realize that I really did enjoy what I was doing. Mm. And then the more time that I went like passing by, I realized that that was the thing that I really wanted to do. But it came to a point two years ago when I realized that even though I love being a doctor and I love being in surgery 7 a.m. working, I had other interests. Too, mm-hmm. that if I kept on that path, I would never be able to follow or like to experience either way. So I didn't want to like get the what if at 50 years old, be like, oh, it would have been great to move to a different country or to experience a uh, public policy or different areas of health. So yeah, wow. <laughs> here <Yeah>. I am. <laughs> That's great. And um, you mentioned before that you've got an interest in education. Yeah. Do you think? that's something that you're going to look into once you've finished the LSE because you've mentioned that you want to do Yeah, definitely. I mean, the the NGO, it's still running in Mexico. Mm-hmm. So right now we're working with 38 schools in oh the gosh, state. Yeah, yeah it's so quite nice. Um, I created a, a good network there and they're helping me run it while I'm here, basically. So yeah, definitely. It will be something. So the aim is to like the objective of the the project is basically to it's gonna sound really corny or romantic but like <laughs> to create a generation of mexicans who can actually make choices about their own health mm-hmm. like being able to say okay so i know how to prevent non-communicable diseases or i know how to prevent uh teenage pregnancy or not teen- like pregnancy at the end of it or being able to take that decision and be like, okay so if i follow this uh, path or this lifestyle, I'm going to end up being that instead of like in Mexico, there's a lot of, um, it, it could be say ignorance because like the lack of uh, access to education that they have regarding health. So there's a lot of people who just take their medicines having diabetes, hypertension, and they don't even know what that is for. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, the doctor told me I'm sick, so I need to take it. So that's the, uh, the basic aim of the of the nonprofit of the project to be able to teach kids how to take care of themselves to like become adults who are aware of how to properly take decisions regarding their health so yeah that would be something that i would love to like pursue for the upcoming years 
Yeah, so interesting. I think that's such a good cause as well because in in the UK we don't have anything like that really. In schools, we're not taught about anything. I think in most schools, like, your, like yeah. 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 I mean, we have a thing in the UK. We have like this like eat well program or the get I, get active. Like you know, you used to collect like Sainsbury's vouchers to really? to like buy sports equipment and stuff. For yeah, your school. but I remember in food tech, like <laughs> us being taught that this is how much protein you should have on your plate. This is how many vegetables. But apart from that, we never learned anything. Yeah, anything. and then we'd go off and bake brownies or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and it's just a fundamental thing that we should all know how to kind of take care of ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I actually, I did a, not a similar, but kind of similar thing in Uganda where I taught um, school kids first aid. And I feel like, yeah, it's amazing. It's just such like a basic thing that none of us really have access to. And you did something similar in Uganda, right? Yeah. yeah. So did you say you were in Uganda too? I was. Whereabouts? Um, in Fort Portal. Where, where is that? Sort of Like northwest. Northwest, near, the, the, near Lake Victoria. Can't, not really, but I've been like traveling been around, around for how long? Yeah. That's so um, cool. six weeks. That's amazing. And it was, oh, it was so yeah. good. And I was working with a university student who is when did out you go? there in 2019. No way. Summer. I was there that exact summer. Oh, really? I was also there for, I think we were there for seven, seven weeks or so. And we were in Kasesi and another Kabale, I think were the two districts oh, that we were yeah. in. Um, and uh, yeah, we did, we went around uh, teaching sexual and uh, and um, reproductive, reproductive health yeah. education to um, secondary school mm-hmm. kids. But I say secondary, I say kids rather. It was like because it, it, the classes size, uh, the ages in the classes vary hugely. Yeah. Like in the equivalent of like seventh grade, you you can have eleven year olds, but you can also have like twenty one year olds because mm-hmm. they skipped, like they didn't weren't able to come to school and stuff. So it was very weird because you'd be talking about puberty to this uh, like class of predominantly 11, 12 year olds, <laughs> but there'd be the odd like twenty year old there as well who obviously has the gone through the whole prison. Yeah, yeah. And, and I felt but it was I've never taught at all. It's kind of weird to talk about like obviously we talk about it uh, with mates and stuff mm. and we're taught about it at school like in western countries but it's a very not very uh, sort of natural thing to talk about it mm-hmm. to um a, a room full of people who uh, come from sort of conservative families who grow up in a conservative country perhaps they don't have access to things like tampons or um like period products or condoms and things like that so yeah, it was it was definitely a, a fun experience, and now I'm I'm really involved with the charity. I, I still um, when I'm in Glasgow, what we do is we train like groups of medical students every year mm. um, to send them out to to Uganda. We haven't been able to do that obviously the last couple of years, but we're hoping to get a a team out there. I think not this summer, but the next summer. Mm-hmm. But we're giving them money instead, and we do Zoom classes f- oh, for yeah. the major cities. Um, obviously. Not all villages will have like Zoom or internet, mm. but uh, we've been trying to keep it going as much as we can during the pandemic. But yeah, it was, it was great fun. Have yeah, you been to Africa? No, I've never been. Take me. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go East Africa is really good. Yeah, Uganda, Kenya, I highly recommend. Oh, Tanzania is beautiful. Yeah. Did you travel around yeah. as well? Yeah. Oh, that's crazy, we went in the same summer. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. No, I've never been. I'm dying to go. I have uh, friends from Mexico who were at a. I forgot the name. Like missionary, like missionary, yeah, yeah, yeah. They went to Tanzania, so it was. They say it's amazing. So yeah, might do it. Yeah, you know, like 
in a, in a year or so yeah. it'll be interesting definitely. <laughs> oh well so from your first-hand experiences um what do you think is the most pressing medical issue in development either globally within your own countries or anything you've learned about from the course um so in developing countries i mean in developed countries it's pretty obvious what the number one issue is mental health um increasingly in developing countries it's weird because we're in a stage of sort of global sort of economic development where the countries that we call developing actually the rich people in these countries are very rich, mm-hmm. r- wealthier than the most of uh, people in um, high-income countries, and they will have disease profiles that match disease profiles here. So they have issues with high, um, high, uh, high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, um, and poorer people will have the diseases that, no, to all intents and purposes, don't really exist in the UK anymore. I think the number one issue, particularly for sub-Saharan Africa, is malaria, mm-hmm. and it's. It's, it's, I think it's the most ancient disease. It's been around for like 2,000 years. And it has a very, very simple, easy way to solve it. Bed nets and like anti-malaria. We have the drugs, we have the bed nets. And I mean, the Gates Foundation is doing an excellent job. So it's the um, Against Malaria Foundation. But I just don't understand why we have, for example, for HIV AIDS, like really good cause and like in the 90s and early 2000s you had a, you saw a huge mobilization of funding of science of pod, like everything came together for aids you know at, at the end of the 1990s and in the early 2000s to the point where now even in uh places like uh um, south africa and west africa where aids was a really really big problem um the life expectancy and i know this from spectrum recently (laughs) (laughs) goddamn spectrum but i know that a lot of the countries have basically caught or will have caught up by 2030 their life expectancy will be just a couple of years off um the scenario had they not had hiv at all so african countries have done a remarkable job in catching up malaria is the number one thing that's currently holding them back Mm -hmm. and there's a simple solution to it so yeah. that's in my in my opinion. I, I I know malaria isn't really a big thing in Latin America, but no. maybe dengue and Zika or, or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, in the south of Mexico where I'm from, look where it's uh, dengue, Zika, chikungunya, everything. It's like a really big deal. Uh, I think the government or health uh, the health ministry has done a great job in preventing. So even though you're uh, for a rural community, you already know how to prevent it. Like. We have had uh, a lot of work when it comes to uh, prevention. So I think the most important thing or, uh, or pressing issue in Latin America would be the access to health. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the, well, my country, I'm going to speak because like, I do know uh, about other countries, but my, in my experience, I think what is the most pressing issue in Latin America would be the access to health because there's a lot of rural communities who don't have access to health um so in medicine in mexico you uh you do seven years in total you do five years of um, like medical school Mm -hmm. one year of like intern year when you go to a hospital and you work there for the entire year doing like 36 hours shift every two days and then afterwards you are sent to a rural community to do your social service so most of the rural communities in mexico have a doctor but it's a junior. Doctor. It's a junior doctor. Like I remember the like the first week when I arrived to the rural community, which was called Libre Unión. I was just like, 
what do I do? Like, it was like just a simple call and I was freaking out. I was like, what type of medication? Okay, what's the dose? How do I put it? Okay, do I have even like a prescription or something? So um, I think we are, we are prepared because like we've been studying for like a long time. But then again, um, when it comes to prevention and to teach the actual community how to prevent diseases, like mm-hmm. most general, even like non-communicable diseases or um, Sika, chikungunya, oral communicable diseases, uh, the vector diseases, it's like a pressing issue. So I think uh, either access to healthcare and prevention will be the main issue in Mexico. When you say access, do you mean more in terms of sort of health coverage or do you mean like in terms of physical? No, like I, physical. There is no hospital. No, 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 like physical access or transportation right, to okay. like go to a hospital, for example. like. Um, in the communities that like in the state of Yucatan or even like communities in the north of the country you are very far away from the nearest hospital so whenever you have to send a patient we have this, this little trucks like called ambulance but actually it's just a small truck <laughs> when you take the patient like yeah. you don't take it like the patient goes and my nearest hospitals I had two hospitals it was like Merida, which was the biggest city, and the other city was Valladolid. One was an hour and a half away, and the other one was 50 minutes away, mm-hmm. like almost an hour. So in order people who have not access to transport because of the uh, uh, economic situation, how are they supposed to get to the hospitals? Mm-hmm. So I think that's like a pressing, pressing issue when it comes to in, in Mexico, mm-hmm. to like create even not more hospitals but like to create more access to transport to people to like be able to go to their appointments or uh their pregnancy checkups and stuff like that right, because okay. like uh i think that would be me for me like for my experience would be that the main issue yeah. back there but that, that i mean that's just an example of um how sort of uh, rounded our thinking has become over the last few months because like as a doctor you're sort of an instinctive response to oh there's not enough access might be oh we need more doctors we need more hospitals um i would probably have said oh just give them primary health care easy but actually you need to look at the infrastructure around it the transport not just transport like do they have access to internet like a mobile phone yeah. do they have access to you know 4g or, or whatever so it's it's very much these sort of broad societal factors mm. that sort of contribute to the health and well-being and economic prosperity of uh, communities across Uh, low and middle income countries. Yeah, like medicine and health is so much more than just like your biological yeah. makeup. Right? Yeah. Like, and it's so intertwined with development. That's why I think our course is really great, but I'm maybe biased. No, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> um, so to end on more of a like slightly more lighthearted note, um, do either of you have any favorite spots or things you enjoy doing in London specifically? So I have a spot and it's like my spot, it's at Trafalgar Square, you know, on top of the lions. <laughs> so whenever something's going wrong, I just go, to, I just go and sit on the lion uh, and I just look out to the National Gallery and like people watch at, in Trafalgar Square. It's strange. Um, well, for me, I love the fact that I can walk anywhere, like in my city back home, like you can just walk, but you need to like drive to a place when you can walk. Yeah. So for me, walk like I live walking distance from uni, so I walk every like almost every day and I love museums so I used to live in Mexico City and the thing that I always did on the Sundays was like go to a different museum so yeah basically just like being able to walk around and I love I know this is gonna sound really strange but I love the weather 
I know. <laughs> like I come from a place really hot. Like the average temperature is between 38 and 45. Okay, then I understand. Yeah, so okay. for me, I'm just like, this is great. Because London it's summers so... get uncomfortably hot. They get to, to like 31, 32, and that might not sound <laughs> like a lot, but our buildings are not designed for that. Yeah, yeah. So inside the building, it feels like 40. Yeah, we, so, we have air conditioner in yeah. like, even like the small markets. Yeah, so yeah exactly. I think. But I haven't, like, I wouldn't say I have like a favorite spot here just yet. No, I haven't, I haven't explored. The, you know, the problem is when you li when you live somewhere for like 21 years, you, you, it's kind of like just there. So and they're free. So there's no really a good excuse for me. There's no really good excuse for me not to go to museums and galleries. And stuff yeah, like I love that. the parks, though. I've oh, been no. ar uh, around a lot of parks and doing like uh, picnics and stuff yeah. uh, like Bryant Park. And I went to Bryant Park. No, sorry. Hyde Park. Bryant Park is in New York. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was just like confusing. Uh, yeah. Then I usually say Bryant Park. It's like. Carolina, Ryan Burke is in New York. Like, You're <laughs> totally right. Hyde Park, yes. And uh, last week I went to Battersea Park. So I'm just like mm. going around different spots in the city, like trying to find good parks. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, Lincoln's Inn isn't that bad. Amazing. And they've got it like is. a they've got a wee pizza parlor thing in the middle, like <laughs> cafe. It's really vibey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like it. Well, some great spots for our listeners to go to. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. Thank you both for joining Thank you for having us, us for this conversation. Thank you. Um, and if you would like to check out the next podcast that is coming out next Tuesday, then please tune in. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.